So my title today is A Surprising Invitation to a Banquet. That's better. My goal is to hear what Jesus says to each of us in this parable. Now, I wonder if any of you have ever been uh, in a situation where you've invited people to a meal and they've not shown up. And I, it's, it's actually rare, so I've never been in that situation. But, you know, you, you invite them, they don't show up, and then you call them and they say, oh, you know, I had to go shopping, so, you know, I had to pick up a few things, so I'm not going to be able to come to your meal. Now, how would you feel? You would feel really upset by that, I'm sure. Um, well, in Jesus' day, you would have two invitations for a banquet. You'd have one that went out a while beforehand, like we do for, for weddings, where we invite people quite a time beforehand and let them know it's coming. And then uh, you'd have another invitation which went out when it was ready and just come to the banquet now. And uh, so uh, the second one will be when the food was ready. And this is what happened. And all these people that had promised to come didn't show up. So in order to understand what's going on in this banquet, uh, Jesus is alluding to a well-known passage that they would have all known in Isaiah. And I've got it printed out for you on your sheets so you can see this passage. Um, and uh, this is uh, just an amazing passage because I think this, uh, once you see this, it enriches the parable so much. Uh, so, the Lord who commands armies will hold a banquet for all the nations on this mountain. At this banquet, there will be plenty of meat and aged wine, tender meat and choicest wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the shroud that is over all the peoples, the woven covering that is over all the nations. He will swallow up death permanently. So this is like the death shroud is gone. Death is defeated at this banquet. Wow, wouldn't you like to go to this one? <laughs> no more death, but it gets better. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Indeed, the Lord has announced it. At that time, they will say, look, here is our God. We have waited for him and he has delivered us. Here is the Lord. We waited for him. Let us rejoice and celebrate his deliverance. Well, um, as you read this, you'll probably immediately think of the promises for heaven. And indeed, this is like the main thing this is referring to is indeed heaven. But what we must understand is in Jesus' language of the kingdom, it has begun already. That, that this banquet has already started and some of the, the appetizers, if you like, are already are available already for us. And, um, and the blessings of, of death being defeated ultimately is there for us because we will not face eternal death. Um, but of course, it won't be fulfilled fully until Jesus returns. So just remember that's in mind. He has that in mind with the parable. So what we're going to do now is to read the parable bearing this in mind. So Luke 14 and verses 15 through to 24. When one of those at the meal with Jesus heard this, he said to him, 
Blessed is everyone who feasts at the kingdom of God. So Jesus has been talking about the kingdom and somebody thinking they'll be clever and making clever statements has, has made this, uh, this statement. And uh, uh, Jesus responds, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time for the banquet, so that's the first invitation, time for the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, this is the second invitation, come because everything is now ready. But one after another, they all began to have to, to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going out to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. And all of these are not terribly convincing excuses. It's a little bit like the I need to go out shopping excuse. Then the master of the house was furious. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Then the servant said, Sir, what you instructed us has been done, and there is still room. So the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and country roads, and urge people to come in, so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will taste of my banquet. So there is a similar parable in Matthew, which uh, probably is a different occasion because Jesus probably told the same parables many times. So we won't try and like uh, um, compare it with that. We're going to look at the one that's reported here. So let's look at this story. And I just want to say some people throughout in the last 2000 years have ridiculously over allegorized this and trying to kind of give meanings for every little detail about, you know, what the yoke of oxen were and what the, and that's not the point. The point is the big point that Jesus is making. And I, um, I've got an explanation here that, uh, I want to give of what this means. And maybe, Anne, could you pass me that purple folder in my bag there? Uh, no, sorry, next to it, there's some sheets of big paper. Can you see those? So I've tried to make some physical slides for you. I don't know if you can read this, but can you read this? So here you go. So here's the explanation. The, yes, the banquet is God's wonderful kingdom. Uh, free, undeserved, delightful, satisfying, fulfilling our longing. So that's the, 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 what it is. Those invited are everyone who hears the gospel. And some respond and some don't. And there's a surprising ending because it's not who you would expect at a banquet. The people in God's kingdom are often not those whom you would have expected. So that is, uh, that's my explanation. We should have brought that clipboard to put it up, shouldn't we? Yeah, there we go. Um, so uh, you'll be a clipboard? You can you can hold it up for them. I'll give you an, another one in a moment. Um, so I've got three points today, and uh, this here are my points. My points are: first of all, God's grace is amazing and totally undeserved. His grace is amazing 
and totally undeserved. And the second point is God is looking for those who will respond and who will value his banquet. And the thir- and, and they won't think it's all trivial, trivial earthly things and surround themselves that surround them are more important. And the, the last one, the last point is the composition in the kingdom in Jesus' time was very different to what was expected. Similarly, today, God is building his kingdom from unlikely people. God is building his kingdom from unlikely people. So, um, we, um, yeah, so first of all, I want to talk about amazing grace. Um, eating food together was incredibly important in Jesus' time. And you can put them down now. It's okay. Uh, so yeah, you'll have to get that up again in a minute because I've got some more. But uh, <laughs> um, those of you who are out there in internet land, you're okay because you've got the slides. But here, they can't see them. They're, they're, here, they're, they're all here for you. Here. <laughs> But but you can't they can't see them so they've got them on a piece of paper they're being held up, um, so uh, the yeah so uh, food was very important incredibly important eating together and it still is in many parts of the world today and I think we're realizing the value of it more and more now that we have not been able to do it for a while. Now by inviting somebody you incur an honor on them, and. You, depending on who invites you, you're, you know, it receives, you receive an honor. Now, supposing somebody said to me, you know, Anusha, she was invited by the Queen of England to one of her garden parties. She got invited. Whoa, I there's some, she must be more important than I thought she was. (laughs) There you go. Um, So uh, I, I, you know, because that really is a sign of honor to be invited by someone like that. And uh, so, uh, you know, the ones who are chosen are honoured. And uh, if I, you know, if I was to say to you, oh, yeah, I went last year and I chatted to the Queen and she had all sorts of, she, you know, she calls me up every so often to find out how I'm doing. You know, whoa, whoa, that's kind of surprising. And so there's a huge honour in that. Um, well, forget the Queen of England. God is inviting you. Isn't that amazing that God should invite you? Um, I mean, let's look back at our uh, parable here. Um, here's this invitation from God. He's holding a banquet for all the nations, and he's just inviting you here. And uh, he's saying, you, you know, you're, you're invited. You're, this is for you. So that, that's, that's the, So that's very quickly my first point. The second thing I want to say is uh, that the, w- the, the importance of responding to this invitation. And the tragedy is that people in large numbers don't respond to this invitation from God. And there may even be someone here, somebody listening on the internet or somebody here present, who has not truly in their hearts responded to this. And you might think, well, who would not respond to such an amazing invitation? But it happens. And it happened in Jesus' time. And when you read the parable, you think it kind of, well, this is odd. Nobody showed up. But actually, this is the truth. 
that so that vast numbers of people hear this invitation and do not respond to it. So, um, and I want to urge you that if you know in your heart that you've not truly responded to this invitation, then I want you. To, I want to urge you to respond to it. And what you have to do to respond to it, you just. You just come and pray to God and say, God, I respond. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have Jesus' invitation. I want to stop living with my own satisfaction and live being satisfied by the food of your feast. Um, so that's, uh, th- that's the first two things that I wanted to say. And if you want to ho- hold that one up, Mark, the, um, this, the second sheet I gave you. Um, so what we've done then is we've looked at God's grace, which is amazing and totally undeserved. We've looked at, very quickly, God is looking for those who will respond and those who will value his banquet. But I really want to focus this morning on the composition in the kingdom in Jesus' time, being very different to what it was today, but the fact that there's going to be some surprises even today. In fact, probably just as much today. So one of the things, you can put it down there, thanks. One of the, um, one of the things most remarkable about God's kingdom is that he's chosen to build it out of the most unlikely people. Now, we, if we go back to our, our passage here, he says, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And... Uh, then he says, go out into the highways and country roads and urge people to come in. So like these are people who are just living there, maybe even homeless people who are living there out in the highways. Um, so I just want to ask you then, just think, let's think a bit about this. What were the occupations of the 12 apostles? Can anybody tell me? Name any of them? Fisherman, tax collector, any others? Well, you're right, because as far as we know, they're all fishermen except for one tax collector. I mean, there's some that might have been something else. But um, they, the, uh, they were kind of unlikely people. In fact, um, they would have been completely uneducated, and yet they became pillars of the kingdom. And in Acts 4 and verse 13, when Peter was preaching and Peter and John were preaching and they discovered they were uneducated and ordinary men, the people were amazed by it. And they, they couldn't understand how these people could speak like this. But they said, ah, but they've been with Jesus. They'd had three and a half years education there, which is pretty amazing. Just imagine getting a degree with Jesus. So they'd, they'd had, but he picked them as people who were no, non-educated at all. And um, it's interesting, if we look at the main Old Testament picture of Jesus, which is David, we some, see something a little similar. We see somebody who was um, just a shepherd and just nothing, and he was even forgotten by his family. And he uh, came up to um, be anointed by Samuel, then he defeated Goliath, he built a kingdom, he wrote many psalms, and he gave the nation rest from its enemies. And so David did an incredible work. Um, uh, so how did David build the kingdom? Um, he, well, while he was on the run from Saul, we read 
how he collected the amazing team of people that stood behind him that enabled him to build this kingdom because he didn't build the kingdom by himself. He needed a team. And he had an amazing team of mighty men. Let's see how he gathered them in um, 1 Samuel 22. Uh, and I have a sheet for Mark to hold up for you. Huh. 1 Samuel 22, we read, David departed from there, he's on the run from Saul, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So basically he gathered the misfits, the people in debt, the people, you know, who you know escaped from from very bad situations and didn't have anywhere else to turn. And this is the group of 400 he gathered, right? Not the finest of the finest, not exactly the A-team. And this is like, this is, this is deliberate because this is how God wants to build his kingdom. He wants to build it out of people who demonstrate his power, not their own power. And they ended up being mighty men. So, um, did Jesus have an amazing team? Well, they were certainly not like that to start with when you see them. And uh, in, in other people in his, in his ministry, you remember the man called Legion, who he cast demons out of, and he turned him into an evangelist. Some, yeah. And uh, can God steal that today? Uh, you know, God can bring the most unpromising people and use them incredibly. Um, there was... Um, Back, I think it was in the late 1800s, there was a woman in England called Gladys Aylward, became a Christian. She was just a a secretary, very simple um, background, and she felt God calling her to go to China, and she was determined to go to China. So uh, she decided, well, what do you do to become a missionary in China? She wrote to various missionary societies and they all said, no, she had to have some qualifications. She had to, and she'd not even had a proper education. And so she got denied by everybody. Nobody would, but she still felt she should go. So she found out how much a train ticket was from, I think, Amsterdam, right the way through past Vladivostok, right the way through to China because you could travel by train. And she started working her job, earning a few pennies every week to buy a train. And eventually she got enough money for a train ticket. And she cooked lots of food so she'd have something to eat on the journey because it was like a couple of weeks to get there. And she packed everything up. Like she didn't have any plans apart from that. She packed everything up, got on the train and went to China. And there were some mishaps on the way, like there's a war zone that they ended up going through and the train got diverted and all kinds of things. But she got there. And when she got there, she found another missionary there and said, can I help you? And she ended up by doing a work that was the most extraordinary work that countless numbers of people were brought to salvation through her, touched by her. Um, if you ever get a chance to read her book, is it called Little Woman? Yeah, Little Woman, because she was very small. Um uh, it's an amazing story of what she did. And, and the most unlikely person to do this, but just enable, just with the power of God. Uh, another man you've probably heard of is John Bunyan. So does anybody know what John Bunyan's profession was? 
he was a tinker. What does a tinker do? Men's horsemen's, that's right. So at a very, very kind of bottom of the level a job to do, he would basically men go around to people's houses and ask to have his horsemen's to repair. And um, he was completely uneducated. And um, in those days, the, 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 church, the Anglican church in England, if you didn't go to, 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 to the church, you were um, put into prison. And he made the mistake of going to the Baptist church and got imprisoned. And uh, while he was in prison, he had a dream which became the book Pilgrim's Progress. Now, Pilgrim's Progress, at one time, was the second most published book in the world apart from the Bible. And um, it's extraordinary how many lives it's touched because it's so vivid in the way it portrays the Christian life. And I was, in my own walk, in my own salvation, reading Pilgrim's Progress was a help that brought me to, to, to know Christ. Um, I have a friend who, who was working on a PhD in English and he taught in, in like older English and he told me in the history of the study of English language, people are shocked by the book Pilgrim's Progress because the sophistication of the allegory was unheard of at that time. Just the, the delicate balance of the way the story as it woven and unfolds. How did he do this? Because God had chosen him, a poor, uneducated tinker, to use in his kingdom in this amazing way because God delights in using people who are surprising guests to the banquet. Um, so um, a number of years ago, we held a prayer meeting to launch a little group who would become New Life Church. And uh, one of the themes that came out as we prayed is that God would build New Life Church from people who were considered nothing from society. So so if you feel that you're considered nothing in society, then welcome, you're in the right place here. <laughs> um, but the people would look at New Life Church and say, wow, that must be supernatural because you can't build, like, you can't build an A-team from people like that. Okay, they can function, but like, you're, you know, it's not, it's not, the, the amazing things that God's going to do are out of the capacity that we have naturally. It's something that God has put in us spiritually. So I want to challenge you. Um, oh, I will tell you one more story. Um, a number of years ago, I was in the UK and I, somebody invited me to, um, to visit a ministry which was just amazing. It still is one of the most amazing ministries I've ever, ever visited. And it was for heroin addicts. And they would basically have a little community of heroin addicts living together, ex-heroin addicts, and they, they would um, disciple them. And I actually stayed in one of those communities in a room with several people coming off heroin and um, just saw the way they interacted. And these people go out on the streets uh, and they, they, they find people lying on the street, you know, in heroin addicts, and they give them a card that says, when you're too... Tired, when you're too sick to steal, come to us, we'll look after you. That's just so amazing. That's the gospel. When you're too sick to steal, come to us, we'll look after you. And people come and they preach the gospel to them and they feed them and they help them get off heroin and they pray over them and then they relapse and they go away and then they come back again. But the amazing thing about this ministry is who's it run by? Who are the people at the top? Who are the people who start new ministries in different countries? 
former heroin addicts who've come up through this ministry. It's not like strong, put-together people ministering to weak, broken people. No, it's weak, broken people who've been healed by God ministering to other weak, broken people. It was amazing to see it. And now they've reached out in many, many different countries where they're they're doing this incredible ministry. So, um, So I want to say to you, do you want to be part of this feast? Do you want to be one of the people that's brought into this feast? Not just to, 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 to go in there and just enjoy a bit of the food, but do you want to be part of the kingdom of God, of what he is doing? Um, you have to step up to God's call in your life. Stop telling yourself, oh, I'm nothing, I can't do anything. You know, I'm just nothing. Because in Jesus, you can do anything. Paul says, yes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I want to say to you, step up to the call in this parable. This parable is a call to you that God can use you in his kingdom in this feast. So I think there are probably many people listening on the internet and here live who need to step up in faith that God can use them mightily. Stop telling yourself you are nothing. This parable is telling you that everyone is invited to be part of this kingdom. And Mark's going to hold up our last verse now, which is from 1 Corinthians and okay oh i didn't give it to you <laughs> okay here we go <laughs> there you are um one and this is talking about the church in corinth for consider yourselves your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many of you were powerful not many of you were of noble birth but god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So I, I want to leave us there at that point and uh, just uh, think about what God is saying to us now in this. That God is calling us to this amazing feast a feast that not only provides for all our needs, wipes the tears from our eyes, saves us from death, but also calls us to be part of a kingdom, a kingdom like David's kingdom to bring rest, to bring peace, to bring salvation. And so I want to challenge you right now that God wants to do this in your life. So let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father, for this amazing calling that you made in Isaiah and in the parable of the wedding feast, calling us to come and drink for what does not, there's no price for it, there's no charge, it's free. And to step up to the call you have for us, not just to eat and drink, but to be part of a kingdom which will last for eternity. Lord, I pray that every single person here will be touched by this. In Jesus' name, amen.